News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. Well, there's a lot of uncertainty out there, of course, about how Omicron is going to affect, well, everything, but especially the financial picture. That's kind of the indication that we got yesterday from Finance Minister Krista Freeland. So let's find out how Ottawa's fiscal picture is looking. Joining us now for more on that is David Aiken, our Global National Chief Political Correspondent. Good morning, David. Good morning, Simeon. Yeah, that, that was really the big theme of the day yesterday, the, the Omicron, and Omicron, Omicron, I gotta keep saying this right, Omicron, there, I'll get it, I'll get it eventually. It's <laughs> um, so much so that the, the finance minister, Deputy Prime Minister Christopher Freeland, she normally would have stood in the House of Commons, like physically in the House of Commons, to read the speech, and she would have physically been present to have a press conference with us, but two of her staff uh, got a positive rapid test result in the morning, and she said, you know, abundance of caution, all that. Um, she's self-isolating, so she had to virtually deliver her her speech, which announced $28 billion in new spending, spending we didn't know about, and most of that was really to deal with um, o- Omicron, to deal with uh, other pandemic issues, and importantly, uh, you probably heard this, there was $5 billion announced yesterday to help BC build back. I mean, it's been a crazy, unprecedented year for natural disasters where you guys are, and uh, the federal yeah. government is saying, here's $5 billion. I'm assuming there will be more if needed, but that's that's probably a pretty good start. All right, so then what else did you find notable about this? The, the picture is better, I guess, than they thought it was going to be, but there's still all these unknowns. Yeah, and, and so this is where, you know, this is where some of the political discussion is going to happen is the government spending, you know, as the government says, it's, it's prudent spending. Um, you know, here's $1.7 billion, for example, to buy rapid tests. The government, the federal government buys them and it's up to the provinces to distribute. And I know that was discussion yesterday with, with Dr. Henry about rapid tests in BC. Well, the feds will buy them. It's got to be up to BC to get them out there. So, so that, that, that would be an example of prudent spending that the government thinks, uh, is, is appropriate now. But here's that big picture. The government's back in April, when the government looked at this fiscal year, the government said, you know, I think our uh, deficit is going to be somewhere around $155 billion. That was the April view. Now, the the government's revenues have been doing so great, mostly because people are largely back at work, paying taxes, not drawing down on recovery benefits. The government saw revenues that that deficit picture from April would have been much better. The government could have had it all the way down to $116 billion. That's still a big deficit, but it's a lot better than 150. But instead of bringing in the deficit of 116 billion, as I mentioned, it said, we're we're gonna borrow and spend an additional $28 billion this year. So the bottom line is the deficit's gonna come in at uh, just over $144 billion for the year that ends on March the 31st. So. So for the conservatives, um, you know, the, the chief, the, the official opposition, their big beef is this spending is inflationary. That's the big trouble right now in our economy. There really wasn't anything the government, the government says it can't really do anything about inflation. And there certainly wasn't much in the budget about it or in the fiscal update. So is this all this spending, this deficit spending, is it adding to inflation? That's what the conservatives say. The federal government, the, the Trudeau government says this is these are prudent measures they're taking. You know, who's not going to give B.C. money to build, build back, right. build back better, whatever you want to call it. Um, that's uh, that, that's the, as I say, the political debate right now. Yeah, it's interesting. Also, they're spending a lot of money on buying more rapid tests where, I mean, B.C. doesn't really use theirs. I know Ontario has questions about where millions of their rapid tests are right now. Uh, they seem to rely on, on yep. buying a lot of rapid tests. 
Right, and, and so this is, uh, I think this is a really going to be a story uh, in the coming days. Uh, right next door in Alberta, Alberta, I think, today is going to announce a, a big rapid test program where pretty much every family that needs them will get a box of these things uh, to use over the Christmas holidays. They'll be encouraged to rapid test people who are going out and working in every couple of days. These tests, I don't know if you've ever had the chance to buy one, but they, they do cost about nine or ten bucks a test. They're really easy to use, and they're, they give you a, you know, um, if you test positive, off you go to get the real PCR test. Parents, you know, of school-age kids, mm-hmm. you know, this is way better because in 15 minutes, you know if your kid might have it or not, rather than have to take them to a clinic and keep them out of school. Um, so as I say, Alberta's got a program. They're going to be handing them out for free um, very shortly. Nova Scotia's got a program. You just go to the library. You, you get some, I don't know why the library, but the library, you get some rapid tests uh, there. Quebec's got a program to give rapid tests to its population. Um, but um, I, I think BC is saying this is still to come, probably not till January, possibly. Yeah. I think that was the news I heard uh, at your end yesterday. Ontario doesn't have a program yet. Um, Manitoba thinks it's going to ra- ramp it up. So the federal government, um, the, the, by the way, the premiers and the prime minister met last night, and among other things, they talked about getting this rapid test program uh, in place. And there is, as they say, $1.7 billion that the feds have to buy the things and then get them out to um, to provinces to distribute. Right. Okay. And I know yesterday when we previewed this as well, David, we talked about the issue of inflation. How much of a mention did that get? Uh, not much, except to say that, that uh, Freeland acknowledged that inflation is a problem, that many Canadians are struggling with higher prices for gas, for groceries, etc. But she tried to explain in her budget speech that this is a global phenomenon, and there's not a whole lot the federal government can do about it. She talked about some government support programs are indexed to inflation. Okay, well, that's helpful, I suppose, but it's not really doing much about it. Um, but that is where the conservatives think that there is... Um, uh, room to poke at the government saying that there really needs to be some sort of plan. Uh, Minister Freeland saying on that, on housing affordability, that's another big issue. Uh, you really are going to have to wait until the budget in the spring. Uh, Freeland noted, you know, her government just got reelected. There was a lot of platform promises and they'll start working on those and, and put them in place for the spring budget. All right, David, thank you so much for this. Hey, no problem. Cheers. David Aiken, that's Global National's chief political correspondent. There's a lot going on on the federal side of things right now. Uh, you heard everything David just described, but as well, the potential for some travel advisories being issued by the prime minister. He just touched on that, but that could come as early as this morning, that coming out of a meeting that the prime minister had with all of the premiers yesterday that actually went on for quite a bit of time uh, discussing how best for the provinces in the country together to fight the this latest variant of COVID-19 and the increasingly higher number of cases that many provinces are seeing. BC's cases went from averaging in the three to 400 every day to jumping up to above 500 yesterday and at least 44 confirmed cases of this variant as well. This is Mornings with Simi. But we need to be thoughtful and prudent about our social interactions, especially over the next few weeks. That is Dr. Bonnie Henry from the briefing that we had yesterday, issuing a lot of, well, cautions and warnings. No increase in restrictions, though. Health officials are confirming the first cases of Omicron that were transmitted within the community instead of being brought in via travel. And so, as you heard there, there are lots of warnings about this variant because they know it can spread 
Like rapidly doesn't even seem to characterize it very, very rapidly. So let's talk more about the situation that we find ourselves in right now. Joining us is Dr. Brenda Nrang, a family physician, co-founder of the This Is Our Shot campaign and our global news CKNW medical contributor. Good morning, Dr. Nrang. Good morning, Timmy. How are you? I am good. Thank you. How are you feeling at this point about (laughs) BC's approach to Omicron? Well, I'm... I think I'm a little, uh, I guess, yearning for more. Um, we, we, we're given a, um, a glimpse into what the impact is on BC um, yesterday, but it was very kind of high-level introductory, and I think what we were told may not necessarily reflect what we have learned from what's happening around the world. What do you mean? So uh, it's... Definitely here, it's rapid. Um, you know, there we have 44 cases that's confirmed, but that was only up until Monday. What we're seeing in other places of the world, and uh, keep in mind that there are differences in populations. In South Africa, within a few weeks, it became 100% of the cases and displaced Delta completely. In the UK, they're looking at maybe it's close to 50%. And in, in Ontario, they're predicting that it might even be uh, well over 50% by now. So it is spreading fast every two to three days in some of these places, um, what we call a doubling time. And we've all heard that R0 number before, which is the reproductive um, rate. Um, they're saying that it's between three and four, um, where when we're looking at BC right now, overall, we're sitting at just, just above one. So, you know, it is, it is a dramatic difference. Right. And I know that you were talking about this on Twitter last night, too, but let's talk about yeah. the sports situation, what happened with the Vancouver Canucks, because are we treating these situations like the COVID of a couple of months ago and not the COVID that we know right now? Yeah, and exactly. And um, I think that even the clip that you just played of Dr. Henry yesterday, I think that there's a lot being put on personal responsibility, which I think is fair. We all have to be responsible for our actions. But you know, at the game time itself, they announced a third case. After the first um, period, they announced a fourth case, which means that this player played the entire first period um, while being infected. Uh, we know that um, the Canucks have played recently uh, Carolina Hurricanes. They have cases. And the Hurricanes played the Calgary Plains. They have cases. And, and so you, we need to start looking at this trend. I mean, it's popping up all, all over our major leagues right now. Um, and while I think most people, you know, I think that the security in the game uh, from a COVID perspective, checking passports, encouraging masks, sure, that's fine. But realistically, majority of people um, don't keep their masks on for the entire game. Um, and also, we don't know how much benefit that's going to provide. So at this point, it doesn't make sense to continue doing that while we don't know what the true impact of Omicron is here yet. Um, um, knowing that, um, and I'll get back to this in a second, why I think there might be some underrepresentation of ca- um, cases, but also um, what, uh, you know, what are our levels of protection and how effective will they be? Right. And you feel that game should not have gone ahead last night? You think they should have canceled it? Yeah, I think so. I think um, if there were two in the morning, nothing else popped up in the, game, in the day and they were confident, that's fine. But if you're finding out a positive test right at game time, um, and there are other tests still pending. Um, you know, how I hope it'll be fine. But you know, you also think about the dressing room, and you think about everyone in that arena. It, it doesn't. It, we're we're seeing that the um, the amount of people that are getting 
um, infected by this is significantly higher and faster um, than pre- uh, previous variants. Do you think, I know I've heard a lot of talk, Dr. Narang, about yeah. people saying, well, this is, is milder, it's not going to require, it's not going to have as many hospitalizations. Like, what do we know about this variant at this point and hospitalizations? No, uh, I, I've i been talking about that too. The symptoms are milder, and that's what I meant, that um, the symptoms are more like common cold symptoms. We're looking at, you know, runny nose, congested nose, um, sore throat, maybe a fever. But, you know, the, the symptoms that we had heard about the other variants were things like shortness of breath, loss of smell, um, and a you know, uh, big fever. Uh, and we're not seeing a lot of that right now. And so it, the characteristics are a bit different of it. Um, but yes, the symptoms seem milder. The data coming out that out of South Africa does support um, that hospitalizations decrease significantly. But um, we have to look at it in, in a few different ways. Um, when I say we ex- should exercise caution with the South Africa data, is they have a much younger population, and they had a lot of acquired or natural or post-infectious, however you want to call it, immunity, because COVID has already run rampant through the community there. And so there's a lot of extra layers of protection from back, some people vaccinated, but also this um, infection-related immunity. So how does that translate to what we're going to see here? I think it's too early to say. And let's say even only uh, 1% or less than 1% of cases um, do require hospitalization. If it does run rampant and it goes through people who are vaccinated, um, as we're seeing, that can still increase um, our hospitalizations uh, within a few weeks. Um, And going into Christmas, we know that that's a notoriously understaffed um, time in an already strained system. Right. So what do you think about then travel advisories being put into place? Like we heard some warnings yesterday from Dr. Henry about that. We're hearing rumors that the federal government's going to announce something today. Uh, hasn't that ship kind of sailed, though? Because like we already know it's here. Um, it is absolutely here. I think that it, the, the, the current travel restrictions make little sense anymore. I think we should start there because we still have a, a travel ban against, uh, I believe it's 10 uh, African countries. And and, did, and what they told us yesterday is that cases, sure, they did come some from Nigeria, South Africa, Zimbabwe, but they also came from Iran, Mexico, Germany, Portugal, and the USA. We know that Denmark and Norway are... Um, uh, and UK, sorry, are a few examples of places in the Western world where it is rampant. So I think we ha- I, I'm interested to see what announcements will be made. Um, I think that uh, there will be uh, a lot of um, caution exercised by a lot of people, but there are people who have made plans, who have been uh, anticipating these plans for a long time, and if they have the means, they will go ahead with it, whether that's rapid testing or, um, you know, trying to be as socially uh, responsible as they can be. Um, But I guess it depends on how strong the recommendations that come out will be. Right. What do you think about rapid testing? I think it has a role. Um, I'll give just an anecdote from my own patient population where I had um, a a family that did test positive over the weekend. And how it started was with a... um, a case notification that came from a child's school. Child had some of those minor symptoms that we had discussed. Um, But based on the BCCDC recommendations right now, um, 
they had um, what was considered minor symptoms. And the, the recommendation was um, if you only have one of these, monitor your symptoms before getting tested. And so they didn't immediately go to get tested. And But what they did have is that they had rapid tests available from um, Nova Scotia, where we, we've heard lots about how that has been implemented in their public surveillance system. And so, um, you know, the next day, both the mother and um, the child were both um, feeling these kind of sniffly symptoms that we all get from all the time. Um, and they tested themselves um, and the rapid test came back positive. So then they went and got a PCR confirmation. And then by that same day, it was confirmed. And so what, what this does tell me, it reflects the symptoms. I don't know if they have Omicron. Um, the mother was double vaccinated. Um, the child had just gotten their first vaccine too, but not enough time to mount an immune right. response. Um, but there was a role in the rapid test. And we're hearing that there are the, the BC government is trying to get them out here. But we know there are a lot sitting there. And I, I've heard that some of the, um, it might be related to the logistical concerns of um, breaking down bulk units into individual units. Um, I think there's a will for them. There's a desire for them. And right now, what essentially is being supported um, is that there are, People can get rapid tested if they can afford it. And I, 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 that just makes me cringe. Why is that? Because I feel everyone should have equitable access right. to the same test. Yeah. And, and BC seems to be a bit far yeah. behind on that, though. No, and, and that's what I'm saying. I think that there are other provinces, even Quebec and Alberta, have announced this week they will be getting them out. Um, I think that while there is... Uh, I think right. it's perfectly reasonable to um, suggest and p- put personal responsibility upon people that we have to also make um, uh, lower the barrier for testing. And I think one thing that we're looking at is with this expected surge in the next few weeks, that is going to op- overwhelm the available testing capacity that we have uh, fairly quickly. Right. All right, Dr. Narang, we're going to have to have a comeback yeah. and talk about that. Thank you so much yeah. for your time this morning. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate that. That was so informative. Dr. Brendan Narang, family physician, co-founder of This Is Our Shot and our global news CKNW medical contributor. This is Mornings with Simi. Well, you've been hearing in the news this morning, we've been talking about it, this potential for the federal government to announce at some point today some new travel rules and restrictions or advisories as it is being put Prime Minister Trudeau held a meeting with all the premiers about travel in the light of the rapidly spreading Omicron variant of COVID-19. What could that mean for people who are planning to go away for the holidays? Well, joining us now is Canadian travel journalist Jim Byers. Jim, thanks for being back with us. No problem, Simi. How are you? I'm good. Are you a little nervous about what we might hear today? (laughs) Yeah, just a little bit. Um, You know, uh, I do keep an eye on this for the industry, but I'm also a a traveler on my own, of course, and... um, it, uh, it doesn't look great. I mean, it depends on which, uh, uh, which story you read this morning. There are some varying accounts. At, at the minimum, it looks like the government will reinstitute its uh, travel advisory. Um, but we're just not sure whether it's going to go beyond that. Right, because at this point, it's just an advisory, right? Exactly, yeah. And this came in, and, and folks have, uh, in case have forgotten, it was, quite a, it was quite a while ago. So back in March of uh, uh, 2020 is when the Canadian government brought in a general do not travel or travel only for essential purposes uh, suggestion. It is only suggesting it's, it's not a firm rule. 
Um, that was quietly, very quietly, to just kind of took that off their website in October. So that was maybe two months ago. We were sort of getting back to normal. But now, with as you mentioned, with Omicron, uh, it looks like they are uh, certainly bringing back that advisory at the minimum. And then depending on which, you know, which source you believe and which, you know, uh, 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 website you're looking at, um, that could be expanded. And there's some talk in a, in a couple of sites that I was looking at uh, just this morning, I mean, the couple sites suggesting that the rule that requires testing, uh, airport testing or at-home testing for anyone flying into Canada from any country other than the United States, that could be expanded to include the United States. Now, that would be obviously a very big damper on, on travel to, uh, to the U.S. because as it is now, you know, uh, the uh, government has warned people that it could take up to three days of isolation for them to get their results. So if you add U.S. testing on top of that, I don't think it's going to get any faster. That would be a huge disruption, uh, given that the yeah. border has just kind of opened between. And there's already testing to go to and from, right? If you're flying into the U.S., you still have to be tested the same day that you're going. Yeah, well, within, within a calendar day. So it could be, you know, you could get tested on a Thursday morning and fly on a Friday. But yes, there is already a test uh, to go to the United States, but and there's already a test to come, into the, to come into Canada if you've been gone for more than three days. It's also possible, I think the Toronto Star was saying this morning, that that three-day rule also might be lifted uh, or, or, or uh, brought back. In other words, that it's possible that even if you're only in Canada or in the U.S. for you know a few hours or a day or two, you might have to get tested when you come back. That's to be determined because we still haven't got a lot of details on this. Right. It just does feel like, though, the barn door is already open, doesn't it, Jim, on this um, thing? Yeah, well, certainly, you know, if you if you talk to the um, uh, to the to the industry, they certainly feel that they they've already taken you know more more of a hit than they can already afford. I was on a, a Zoom chat this morning with the Caribbean Hotel and Tourism Association, and uh, they reiterated uh, their position that you know travel is not a problem according to them. Uh, less than one percent of the people being tested to go home from the Caribbean are testing positive, which is much lower than other parts of the world. Um, <clears throat> they're just getting back on their feet, you know, in the Caribbean. Uh, they were saying this morning that uh, uh, tourism numbers in the Caribbean uh, right now or for the for the coming winter are only about 16 percent below uh, 2019 levels. And 2019 was an exceptional year. Right. So they're just getting kind of back to normal now. And then all of a sudden, I think I mentioned this last time we talked, it just whack. You know, it's like uh, exactly. t- uh, travel industry gets taken out in the back alley and, 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 <laughs> and a baseball bat across the knee so, you know? so visual the way you put it. Uh, okay, I think that, that, yeah. that also, Jim, tells us, though, that I think there's a certain level of comfort people have right now in saying, listen, I'm comfortable with testing and traveling. Well, there, there is that, you know, and um, again, I was talking with somebody the other day from uh, the Germain Hotel Group, um, and she was telling me that, you know, uh, uh, she'd been listening to somebody from Southwest Airlines, and the, the CEO of Southwest was at a travel conference and was saying, okay, that during the first wave, we were down, you know, 97%. Uh, the second wave, we were right. down 80%. By the third wave, we were down 50%. So if, if that continues, and if people just become more uh, normalized by by variants and just understanding. Okay, I got to get tested, as you mm-hmm. said, and blah 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 blah. Then maybe the the impact won't be quite as bad. Uh, right. It looks right now that it's not great, um, but you know there is a fair bit of optimism still in the industry. Uh, people were pretty excited about 2022, so we'll see. Um, maybe this is just a blip in the road, but we'll, we'll we'll find out. We will find out, Jim. Thank you. Anytime, Sammy. Take care. Canadian travel journalist Jim Byers. This is Mornings with Simi. 
comfortable are you with facial recognition technology? Over the last few years, it has rapidly become used without any real rules or regulations surrounding it. You probably don't even know how widely this is in use out there. That the pictures that you put on the internet, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, wherever, may have been scraped so that they can recognize you somewhere else. But This might be changing, this idea that there are no rules and regulations. Three provincial privacy watchdogs have now ordered the facial recognition company known as Clearview AI to stop collecting, using, and disclosing images of people without their consent. So this was British Columbia, Alberta, and Quebec. And they're also requiring the U.S. firm to delete images and biometric data that was collected without permission from individuals. So these are binding orders that were made public this week following a joint investigation by those three provinces and the Office of the Federal Privacy Commissioner. To talk more about this issue, we're joined now by Anne Kavukian, who's the Executive Director of the Global Privacy and Security by Design Centre and a former three-term Privacy Commissioner of Ontario. Anne, thanks for being here. My pleasure, Femi. Thank you. Do you think that we still underestimate how widely used this facial recognition technology is? Oh, totally. People have no understanding of the enormous harm that can arise by people obtaining your facial image in an unconsented manner, which is what Clearview AI did. That's why I'm applauding my fellow colleagues, the fellow privacy commissioners who have basically shut this down. You see, what Clearview AI does is they scraped 3.3 billion facial images from the internet, social media, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, etc., all in an unconsented manner, of course. And then they sell this to law enforcement agencies, police across the country and across the world. And you see what people aren't aware of. I mean, the RCMP has been using it in Toronto. The Toronto police were using it about two years ago until I learned about this, contacted the uh, head of the, the um, the police chief. And the police chief was not aware of this. Uh, happening in his jurisdiction in Toronto. He stopped it immediately. So a lot of times people are unaware of the fact that this is taking place. We have to shut it down, and that's what this order does from the commissioners. Right. So are they required? Is Clearview AI required to obey this? Yes. Yes, they are. It's an order. It's in Canadian jurisdiction, and it is outstanding because I can't tell you the harm that can arise. What people don't understand is one to many, which is where... Uh, your face is compared to thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of facial images. One-to-many facial recognition comparisons are extremely insecure. They're not accurate at all. In the UK and England, they did a study on this because they have cameras everywhere. They found that only that 81% of the matches from facial recognition were false positives. A false positive means someone was falsely identified as being the bad guy, the person of interest. Can you imagine? It's huge. And when I was privacy commissioner, a number of victims of identity theft came to me seeking my assistance. They're saying, look, they think I'm this guy. I'm not. And the first thing I have to say is go to the police file on a current report. Make sure that your claim of identity theft is substantiated with the police and I will do everything I can to help you. So facial recognition, one-to-many, is extremely inaccurate and should be abandoned. Right. And can you explain to people, and how this works? What are these big companies doing? With Clearview AI, so they make, as I said, 3.3 billion facial images. They sell it to police officers, law enforcement agencies, 
all over the world. The, the law enforcement agencies want them because they think, oh, when I arrest somebody, I'm going to compare it to the facial images I have and see if there's a match. And that's where I was saying it is highly inaccurate, false positive abound. So it's really, this is a pointless exercise in terms of what's called one-to-many facial comparisons. Let me give you a contrast. One-to-one is where your facial image is compared to one other image that you submit, like on your passport. One-to-one comparisons are quite accurate as compared to contrast to -to one-to-many. Right. Okay. So yeah, this is happening every day. Is this being used in oh. areas other than law enforcement? Oh, yes. It's it is people think it's accurate. That's the problem. So, you know, housing agencies use it, employment agencies, lots of organizations use this. And I feel like it's my mission to alert the public right. to the enormous inaccuracies in in Detroit last year. They did a comparison. They were using it. And this is extreme, but 96% false positive. It was, it's totally inaccurate. They've, they've scrapped it now. So then so, why has it become so popular if we know that there can be this many false positives? Because people don't know. For whatever reason, they don't dig deep and, and look into the research associated with the accuracy or lack thereof in terms of facial recognition. And that's precisely the problem. We have this implicit trust in technology, which is so unfounded. Okay, so this means that it will no longer be used, but are there other companies? Like, are we going to have to go through company by company and tell them not to use it? Clearview AI was the largest company just doing this in such an atrocious manner. I'm sure other companies will arise, but I think we'll have our eyes on this now that these wonderful privacy commissioners have basically said, you're not doing this in Canada. That is wonderful, and it will, you know discourage other companies from going in that direction. Okay. And what about in the United States? Is this still widely used? Uh, On and off. A number of states actually have banned facial recognition for the very reasons we've discussed. So I was very pleased with that, that more and more states, multiple states are banning facial recognition outright. So I think they will treat Clearview AI in the same manner. But Anne, why wasn't this kind of regulated to begin with? How did this kind of get by us so quickly? (laughs) Oh, Fabi, there's so much that happens in the tech space, unfortunately. And you see, when people want something to be successful, like law enforcement, the police would love this to work 100%. They may embrace it without doing the proper, what I say, looking under the hood examination of it. Trust but verify. Right. So you feel they were so enthusiastic about it. They were like, yeah, we want this. Exactly. And that was certainly the case in in Toronto, where, as I said, the police chief didn't know this had been purchased in terms of Clearview AI in his department. And as soon as he learned about it, he dropped it. He got rid of it. Okay. So what rights do we have, Anne? Like, do we have the right to ask a company, hey, are you doing this? I think you should always ask. Lead by asking. Um, and, and across all measures, when you go to buy something in a physical store or online, uh, I often buy things in, in a store and they'll say, oh, can I have your postal code? And I say, um, sure, but what are you going to do with it? Are you going to do any marketing? Are you going to seek my consent before you use it? The clerk won't know what you're talking about, but he'll go get the manager. The manager comes, and when they see that you're interested in your privacy, they say, Oh, you care about your privacy. Oh, we can do this and this and this. They have additional measures they can introduce to protect your data. 
So I always tell people, take two minutes and just ask about what are they doing with your information. See, I usually just say no. <laughs> Good for you. I always go, well, what do you know? You don't need that. Just like, and then they usually just, they want to keep going. So they just like, you know, keep going on that. But <laughs> I just find it's, it's getting more and more intrusive, right? Oh, can we have this? And I'm just, no, no, you can't yeah. have all that. Good. We need more of you. <laughs> <laughs> Said nobody ever. And thank you so much for your time on that this morning. Oh, my pleasure as always. That's Anne Kavukian, who's the executive director of the Global Privacy and Security by Design Center, also a former three-term privacy commissioner of Ontario, very happy about the fact that the privacy commissioners in British Columbia, Alberta, and Quebec have banded together and they are ordering the facial recognition company Clearview AI to stop collecting, using, and disclosing images of people, of you, essentially, without your consent. If you want to weigh in, send me at cknw.com. This is Mornings with Simi. You know, there's nothing better than putting a smile on the face of children who are in hospital, but it's not always easy. Take a look at what happened last year. Because of the pandemic, Santa was unable to deliver toys to children in hospital in person, which is what Santa usually does at this time of year. But this year... Had a little help. Santa was able to do it once again, and they've been doing this for 17 years. They had a little help from Helijet. Danny Sittenham joins us now, president and CEO of Helijet. Good morning, Danny. Good morning. This is such a great project. How did Helijet get involved? Well, you know, we've uh, we've been uh, operating uh, with and for the uh, the British Columbia Emergency Health Services, operating the air medical uh, helicopters for the province, and uh, we've been doing it for about 23 years. But about 17 years ago, we sort of sat around and, and discussed what more could we do uh, for the communities and uh, maybe specifically at a, a special moment in December. And we came up with this idea to use the helicopter. Um, we have a spare uh, aircraft that we use to support the rest of the fleet. And we used uh, that aircraft to take Santa um, and, and a few others to visit some hospitals and, and drop off uh, some gifting during a you know, special time of the year for these children or otherwise. Yeah. yeah, Santa needs all the help he can get sometimes, right? And so this last year you weren't able to do it. That's right, right. Uh, you know, COVID uh, sort of restricted the opportunity, but uh, we were able to slowly get back this year. And, you know, with a lot of caution, we were able to uh, bring Santa to six hospitals this uh, uh, yesterday, actually. Oh, my goodness, Danny. Did you get to go along? Did you get to see any of this happen? Because I would love to see the look on the kids' faces. Yeah, I do. You know, I'm privileged that I, uh, I travel with Santa uh, at each hospital and we're afforded the opportunity to uh, sort of walk around with him. And it, it's it's just, it's overwhelming to see the uh, the responses that uh, the adults and the children uh, give when they see Santa coming off the helicopter, bringing some gifts to them. Oh, that is amazing. So how does Heligit organize that? How do you decide like which hospitals to go to? It must take quite a bit of organization. There, it is, you know, and we have uh, great people, uh, you know, behind the scenes on on the uh, BC Emergency Health Services, the hospital administrators, and so forth. And basically, the hospital puts their hand up to say we'd like to accommodate and and set up the logistics at our hospital to accommodate this uh, this uh, travel event. So you know, it's it's in the making for a few months before the date happens, and uh, all the protocols are done, and um, we pull it all together. Is this something like, what does it do for Helijet to be involved in this though, Danny? Like I, I know for employees, a lot of times for companies, it just, it feels good to know, right? That the company they work for cares like this. 
Yeah, and I, and I think that's it. it, it it's, it's really a feel-good opportunity uh, for employees that are involved that can say, you know, that's us doing this. Uh, and, and it's kind of funny. Uh, uh, Bree Spots is um, one of our captains that flew yesterday, and, and she was in front of the camera, and we were chatting, and she brought up a good point. You, you really feel like a, a, a rock star coming in with Santa. <laughs> you know, bet. you're kind of like, I'm with him. <laughs> and you just feel like... You feel so proud that, you know, it's the right thing to do. And uh, it's, it's quite, uh, quite enlightening. So how does that work then? Do you help Santa collect the presents? Where does that come from? Yeah, so the, um, the gifting is from Helijet. We have uh, a little uh, toy stuffy, uh, stuffy bear that we uh, offer that's properly packaged and so forth. And Santa has uh, uh, an elf that uh, joins him and we distribute those stuffies to the kids. All that's supported by Helen Jen. Oh wow, that's amazing! So, have you thought about ever like increasing? Do you think this is th- how, what does this do for you at this time of year, Danny? It makes me feel good. It it really just you know it's it's a giving back of some form, and we feel pretty good that we're uh, participating in it. And somewhat humbled by it. I can imagine. Yeah, Danny, thank you so much for telling us about it today. You're welcome. Thank you.